And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70 and Tops.com for all the latest cards released as part of Project 70. Lots of good stuff up right now. Derek Van Riper here with Bricciaroli and Eno Saris. The band is back together. It is Friday, August 27th. we got just over a month to go in this season. And uh, I think we're going to talk about implosions because they happen. And they happen every year. Even though we think, like, oh, this is going to be the year where all 12 teams that look like they could make the playoffs are going to go on this nice, even-keeled battle for those spots. It doesn't work that way. Teams implode. Happens all the time. We'll talk about why. We'll talk about some potential surprise teams that could find their way back into the playoff race, even though it looks right now like things are really starting to clarify. And we'll talk about our priority viewing list for the final month of the season, if all of these playoff spots are in fact spoken for. There's also a piece that Tom Verducci wrote about the Rays' approach to relievers that's somewhat related to things we've talked about this week, so we'll probably dig into that a bit later in the show. Um, Implosions, they happen. And I'm going to just kick this right to you, Britt. Which implosion do you want to talk about first? Because we have several to choose from from this season, based on what we've seen just over these last, really, three weeks. Yeah. You know, let's talk about the Padres, because as I was telling you two off air, uh, my family lives in San Diego. My mother is very upset about this. Um, she has gone to tons of games this year. Um she really, you know, every she's a nurse. Every Friday this year, they get to wear Padres gear. It's a new thing. That whole city has become so swept up in the Padres being good. Uh, it's given them some hope, finally. And to watch this debacle since basically the, you know, the last month or so, basically since the trade deadline, um, it's been really tough to watch. You know, they, they make the move to fire Larry Rothschild, kind of unexpected, but certainly someone has to pay when a team is this bad. Although you can ask the Mets what happens when you fire a coach. Absolutely nothing really happens when you fire a coach. Um, it's more of a symbolic gesture for a manager to save their own skin. Uh, but I think when you guys look at the Padres, am I the only one who's who's upset about this? Just disappointed, I guess. Not upset, just disappointed, as my mother would say, um, <laughs> in the way the Padres have played here. Like, I was penciling in in October in San Diego, um, selfishly, and that's not going to happen. And I think when you look at this, there's no one to blame but the San Francisco Giants for having <laughs> a year out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, no, I it's uh, it's uh, it seems to me that it has something to do with trading away all your prospect depth for guys like Snell and Musgrove, and so uh, you know with a couple injuries. But yeah, are they that much more injured than other teams? I, I don't think so. They're about as injured as everybody these days. Um, they just haven't, you know, the, the pitching program hasn't produced any young players that are going to take over. 
Um, but the thing is, like, they're still a good team. Um, you know, they're still battling against the Dodgers. It's a, you know, it's not like they were totally out of it in these two games. Um, and I, I could see them changing things. Like, if you look at uh, the the playoff odds, you say, okay, they have a twenty percent chance of making the postseason right now, and be like, oh god, that's so sad. Um, if they won two games and the Reds lost two games that number would be completely different. Yeah, it's a little bit of a reflection of how much time is left in the season, right? I mean, you can look at the the Jays and say, well, they've imploded too because based on playoff odds they have, I think expectations in Toronto haven't quite risen to the level where expectations were in San Diego You know, going back to March, even though with the expanded playoffs last year, the Jays were a playoff team. And even though I think we would all agree, they still have a very bright future with the core that they have in place. But just two weeks ago, Yankees-Jays was a coin flip in terms of which team was more likely to make the playoffs. The Yankees have been red hot in the time since then, and the Jays have gone the complete opposite direction. They've been ice cold, lost a lot of games they really couldn't afford to lose but shouldn't have lost along the way. Um, So this isn't just like a pick on the Padres thing. It's certainly not just an LOL Mets thing. Like Several teams go from what looks like pretty good playoff odds in the early part of August to almost long-shot odds by the end of the month, and there's a whole bunch of different reasons why this happens. I think in the case of San Diego, Britt, you kind of put this to us before we started recording. Is it because they didn't make a move at the deadline? I don't know because like we, we know they were trying to get Max Scherzer. Uh, by most accounts, they didn't seem as he close to getting... would have won some games He would have won them. some games for them, but they, <laughs> they weren't also getting Trey Turner based on anything we know. So it wasn't like the exact same thing the Dodgers did. But if you just say the Dodgers only got Turner and the Padres happened to get Scherzer... Give them two more wins, and then they're maybe dead even with the Reds today. They'd still be in a a battle, a legitimate battle, because the Reds are a good team, and because the Padres, unfortunately, have had so many injuries this year, they're just not quite the team we thought they could be on paper. Yeah, although if you're taking Scherzer and giving him to the Padres, you're also weakening the Dodgers. And the Dodgers right now, without Scherzer, are a very pitching-susceptible team. As is, I think they have the bullpen that's... The reason why Scherzer started last night is because they have, like... They had an off day, so they were able to keep him on regular rest. And I was talking to some Dodgers guys, and they said that essentially the bullpen has been having to fill a lot of gaps here. So I think it does elevate the Padres just a little, but it also brings the Dodgers down just a little. But again, at the end of the day, the Giants are winning the division right now. So are you going to go all in on a one-game playoff when you're going to face the Dodgers if you're the Padres, right? Again, it's time to blame the San Francisco Giants or, the- <laughs> or Eric Hosmer or Eric Hosmer yes. because the, not only is he a below average first baseman, but he had all that money uh, created a problem where they couldn't get Max Scherzer. I think that was why the deals fell apart. You know, they they had to also move Hosmer in whatever deal that they were doing, and they would have to have created some sort of three team deal where they're sending Hosmer to the Cubs, and the Cubs are going to pay for it, and the Cubs get a prospect, and the and the Nationals get a prospect, and somehow this all ends up with Max Scherzer, you know, in in San Diego. And I think that's so complicated; it just wasn't going to happen. But my, I think to me, that's really interesting is the role of the media because. And I don't like maybe we, we, you know, maybe nobody cares about media criticism, but like just think about the Yankees uh, two, three weeks ago and just how dead in the water they were. And people were calling for Cashman's job and Cashman had to have like a a press conference to be like, uh, you know, I'm disappointed with how people are playing, you know, like and and I'm working hard to make this team better. Right. Like it uh, it seemed like uh, 
he was like uh, like almost like he'd be fired at the end of the season that's I, that's how that, like I got that like sort of whiff you know and people were just like oh my god you know, this is the worst and now the Yankees seem like a lock to make the postseason they might even win the division they're they're running out the jumbo package in the outfield with the biggest outfield ever and I was watching batting practice last night it was Rizzo Judge Stanton and Gallo and I was just like this is nuts dude this is nuts like this is this is like the bug bunny thing you know. Where they just like are rounding the bases, you know. It's it's the Braves too. I mean, the Braves have gone on a similar run here. And what's kind of cool about August is it really separates the pretenders from the contenders, right? Mm-hmm. Your team makes moves, they don't make moves. This is it, right? This is your team. This is your roster. There's really nothing left. Yes, teams can still make moves in August, but they have to go through waivers. So they're very usually they're not big moves. Usually they're small moves. So that's a that, that's a good point. So. You know, all the criticism of the Yankees, maybe they were made a lot better by the players they acquired, whereas the criticism for the Padres right now and the Mets, there's no, there's very little players to acquire. There's nothing that, there's nothing coming. You Darvish came back. That was a little thing. I mean, that's a big thing, but like, that's it. And then, you know, they might get uh, Noah Syndergaard. I doubt they get, I mean, they might get like a start or two from DeGrom in, in New York, but like, there's no opportunity to reverse the narrative by changing the player personnel. Right. And how many teams have a a John Carlos Stanton capable of what he's capable of? Like Mm. you knew, like he's got these ups and downs and you ride these waves and he's been a big part of how the Yankees have been able to kind of catapult themselves into this thing. Right. Like Mm. the, 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 the way he's been able to perform and he, you know, is some of it going to the outfield? I don't know. People are speculating. Nobody really knows, but Having a guy like that all of a sudden get hot, I mean, there's just so few teams who have a player like that capable of carrying. In that way, the Mets are closer to the Yankees, right? Because they have Lindor, uh, who's capable of, of going nuts and has been underperforming. And Alonzo could probably find another level. They're, they have some underperforming players that could do the role of Stanton and just actually play to their their projections and, and change change the Mets fortune a little bit. I'm not sure I see that in, in San Diego. The only player that I see that is seriously underperforming on the bat side, I think, is uh, Trent Grisham. And on the pitching side, maybe uh, Chris Paddock. Uh, so Musgrove has gone in and out. So I don't know. Can a reversal of fortune for Musgrove, Paddock, and Grisham uh, power a, a real change for these Padres? I, I don't know. Maybe Maybe I was wrong. I was a little bit more optimistic on the radio uh, you know, before they lost last night, and then you know, just the the fan reaction to my optimism <laughs> has uh, maybe beaten it out of me. But I still think it's a good team. So I, I just wonder. Uh, they're only one game, one or two games out. I don't think the Reds are like that amazing of a team. So that's that's what's sort of fueling my my decision making. Yeah, one thing that I did not notice until it was brought to my attention on the Athletic Baseball show, I guess this was probably last week now, is the difference in strength of schedule between the Reds and the Padres down the stretch and that included the series that they just played against the Dodgers, a much tougher path for San Diego than it is for Cincinnati by comparison. So that is one thing that definitely works in the Reds' favor. But I was fighting against that. I was adamant that the Padres were going to find a way they would rise to the occasion in the series. This week against the Dodgers, they'll see them again soon. That they would say, you know what? No, we do belong here. We're going to win these games. We're going to go We're going to go punch the bully, and we're going to be ready. If it happens, it's Musgrove, Snell, Paddock, Darvish. Yeah, so 
that's what happens. They start pitching really well, and that and that's that changes everything. That's all I can really with see. the change. You know, letting Larry Rothschild go. Have, have they have they done anything in the last few days that you go, oh that was different? They weren't doing that before. Like I, I think it takes a, maybe a couple turns to the rotation. They let Snell go pretty deep. Yeah, but like does he make that call or does Jace Tingler make that call? Oh, right. You know, like yeah. that's the I, I I don't know how quickly you can decide like if you've really seen change there, but it, it finally backfired too. They did they actually did leave Blake Snell in just a little bit too long. That workload was really really high when will smith hit that homer off him but seven and two-thirds 10k it's nice to see him pitching well again because uh, as we've talked about he has been disappointing in a big way not the guy they expected when they acquired him but the the long answer here for me with the padres is a, a big part of the reason why they've underperformed this year yeah it is it is partially the giants but it is partially just little little pieces of the roster being a win a win and a half or two wins less than expected in a division where there's just three really good teams like they're they're in the wrong division that's part of the the answer here too they just happen to be in they needed more from the group that is weathers morahan and baez that was like going to be their six and seven starters uh and and they either got injured or fell apart or weren't as good as expected so i think that i think i think it is a little bit about the pitching program and depth yeah you know, because the Dodgers, like, they always seem to, like, call up some guy and they're like, oh, hey, he threw, like, five innings, you know, seven punchies and two earned. Yeah, you know? you're, you're Mitch White. And the Padres don't seem to. Yeah, Mitch White, uh, Andre Jackson, uh, Josiah Gray before he left, like, strange. Well, Gray's what got them Scherzer. I think they're a little better anticipating needs because when the Dodgers got Trey Turner, people were like, why do they need Trey Turner? Right? They don't need Trey Turner. But they do. He's helped them win a lot of games. He's been really good. With Mookie Betts out, he's their fastest player, and it ends ended up being big time. You know, he scored some mm-hmm. some runs that other teams, other players wouldn't have. Yeah, I think the way the Dodgers look at depth and acquiring is just better than a lot of other players. They do have the system. They do develop guys. But let's keep in mind they lost Dustin May for the year. Trevor Bauer, we don't know if he's going to pitch again this year. And they've been able to weather losing Mookie Betts. You know, they had Bellinger missed some time. They've been able to weather a lot of this. You can't really point to the Padres and be like, this is injuries. I don't think that you can say that. I think that the the Dodgers have a similar amount of injuries and lost players and and have uh, just done a better job uh, acquiring that depth. And then look at the Giants. I mean, those guys have all been injured off and on, and they they just are really good one through 30. I mean, if you look at the AAA lineup for the for the pod, the Giants, something comes of kind of clicks for you. It's really good. It's not like I'm not saying it's like really good. I'm not saying it would beat a major league team. It's just really good for AAA. They've got Duggar, Dubon, like uh, Talkman down there. They've got like a legitimate lineup one through nine down there. So if anybody ever gets hurt, you're just like, oh, we have like a legitimate guy, the replacement that's going to come up and not just totally stink it up. Um, and I don't know. I, 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 the Mets might have a case uh, for being more injured than most, uh, but they might also have a case for having brought some of that upon themselves by there's something wrong with the way Mets deal with injuries. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Rather than take shot number 1,462 at the Mets for their inability <laughs> to figure out how to handle injured players, I'm going to put a question to you guys that I, I think is, is pretty fun. Will any of the let's call them surprise teams, find their way into the playoffs. And I'll define that. Any team that's basically not locked in or on its way to a playoff spot right now, that'd be the Padres at 20.8% playoff odds, the Phillies at 14.1%, the A's at 126 then you got like the Jays, the Cardinals, the Mariners, and the Mets. Those last three teams, by the way, all under 5%. So will any of them find their way in? Do you have any reason to believe that there is a a turnaround coming from any of those seven teams over the final month plus of the season? Well, the Phillies, because they have an easy schedule. They have an easier schedule than the Braves even to close it out. So They lost Hoskins. A, they did, and so that hurts years. a little bit. But the, you know, could Aaron Nola finally have a good September? That could, you know, Nola with Wheeler. Harper seems schedule. to be having one of his better seasons. Har- Harper's very quietly having a really good season. You have an easy schedule and a bad division. Could I see it happening? Maybe. Um, you know, the Braves are have a really tough stretch here now, and they lost both games to the Yankees. They went on that 9-0 run against teams that are terrible. It is still very hard to go 9-0. They are still a good team. They're playing well. But I could see – I wouldn't be totally shocked if the Phillies edged them. Out of all these teams, that one would surprise me the least. Phillies' rest-of-season opponents have a 459 459- uh winning percentage that is the best among the teams we're discussing uh and actually one of the best among any contenders the second one is the reds at 461 um then you've got uh the worst is actually the padres at 538 Ooh, that's a funny number um and uh the phillies yeah the phillies at 459 Braves 495, uh, Blue Jays 495. Uh, I could see the Blue Jays uh, putting it together. Um, you know, uh, Barrios, a little turnaround from Barrios, and all of a sudden you're about four deep in the rotation. Uh, when we were looking at bullpens, uh, my, I, my numbers say that they they were second best in stuff over the last month and just haven't had great outcomes. So, uh, maybe a little bit better command from the bullpen uh, comes to better results, and then Vladito just needs to, you know, lift the ball a little bit better again. He started to to start to hit those ground balls again, um, and, and Springer needs to come back. But all those things are like kind of yeah, sure. Springer should come back, and uh, Vlad still hits the ball really hard, and uh, you know they have good stuff, and the, the the rotation is pretty good right now, one through five actually. So. Um, I, I could see the Blue Jays doing it. Yeah, I'll, I'll stay on the, the Padres sinking ship. The numbers uh, support it, even though the strength of schedule is tough. No, what about that sinking ship, though? That's, there's something there. Like, I, I just think, you know, we we we, uh, we write columns, we go into the, the Zooms, and we ask them, and they have to field questions about, 
what is it like to be on a sinking ship? I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if I've ever heard that. No, no, but it starts to make you think you actually are on a sinking ship. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And so I just, uh, you know, the was, the, and I think that like time of year actually matters a little bit too, because I don't know if the, the Yankees thing is a perfect map because they they had two months when they're when they're when their ship was sinking they had two months which is more like we have a deadline where we can acquire like we were talking about we're going to acquire players and we have two months to turn this around we're going to be fine whereas when it starts to be like we have 35 days we have 35 days and after the game this mofo media guy is always asking me about how much does another loss hurt how much does another loss hurt yeah, it feels great actually. This this one this Makes one felt you fine. Angry and sad as a player, right? Which are probably not the best ways to be your your best self. I'm getting a little bit weird and soft. Well, no, here. no, but here, I, I, there's it's, this is not stuff that's in the numbers. But I I have to think that like this this kind of like swirling narrative that 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 comes around. If you've got it, if you've got a hashtag for it. It's so easy to just access it again. Oh, so this, this is kind of pointing back to the Mets again. But do, do you think it's weird that when Pete Alonso tries to be positive about the situation and tries to... He's trying to change the narrative. He's trying to push a positive story and nobody likes... He's exhibiting the qualities of a good leader, right? A good leader is not going to tell yes. you the sky is falling. A good leader is going to say, hey, look, we got this. We're going to be fine. We just got Lindor and Baez back. We can play better than we played. This is an important stretch for us and we can do it. Like that's what you should say if you're a leader. You shouldn't say, "Oh shit, we're doing it again. We're LOL Mets again. This is a disaster. What do we do? I don't know how to hit anymore." Like if he said that, they would freak. They'd lose it. It'd be hilarious. It'd be hilarious if a player trolled the media that way and and said it. But it's just like, what what response would be satisfactory to the people covering that team and the people following that yeah, you team? You want more Steve Cohen? crap posts on do you Twitter? want them to be like a wwe no. like wrestling match in the locker room where alonzo is like hitting people with folding <laughs> chairs in the clubhouse before the game he's like yeah i didn't like jd davis's attitude so i, I hit him with a chair like what, what do you want like <laughs> i think people want authenticity i think people want guys to tell the truth even though we all know that they almost never tell the truth to us, especially not when things are not going well. That's a post-game. good point. I guess I, to some, I the, the lots of stuff seems fake. Yeah, I think people are upset watching the Mets, and they want the Mets to also be upset by what's going on. That's mm. why this isn't the Pete Alonso. Several weeks ago, this was a big deal, and and you know I went on S, I go on SNY once a week, and and so it made headlines in Mets land anyway. That he said, you know, he he gave some fluffy response to what had been going on when they were tail spinning right at the beginning. And people were upset because they want Pete Alonso as a leader to say, we should play better. We are better. Fans deserve better. Not like, yay, we're having fun. Let's smile because we get to play baseball. Um, I just think that's a little insulting. That's fine in April or May or maybe June. But now it's like crunch time. And I don't know what's so wrong with a guy who holds a lot of stock in that locker room, holding guys accountable, acting upset, pretending like, yes, it's fun to play baseball, but it's not that fun to get our, our brains beat in every night. That's not really a great analogy. It's not that fun to lose all the time. But, you know, they, they, they when they did research into hot streaks and cold streaks, for the most part, they didn't think that hot streaks existed. Uh, but there was a little bit of an evidence for cold streaks. Weird. And so I just wonder if there's a... I wonder if there's just a psychology to it. Um, 
It's like a confirmation bias, right? Where you're like, we suck. And then you lose another and you're like, see, we suck. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to uh, go that way on a day-to-day basis. That's your mindset every day. It will play out that way. But it is. I mean, I think what Britt's saying is legit, too. I mean, he could he could preface what he's saying. And maybe he did. And we just seen the clip. But like, he could preface what he's saying is like, you know, it is disappointing. And we are all trying to play better. But I see better days ahead, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, there, there's a, here's another thing um, that uh, has been found that that came to when I was at Kumon Publishing. So when I worked at Kumon Publishing, the overall strategy for Kumon Publishing was world peace. The goal of Kumon Publishing was world mofo peace. And I thought that was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. I was like, what are you talking about? We make children's workbooks. Are you kidding me? Uh, however, the, one of the genesis was something kind of lame, like some um, you know, uh, strategist had done some research and had found that uh, positive goals for the overall uh, group uh, got better outcomes from the, from the group in general. Hmm. But I kind of maybe believe that. Like if I, I've talked to certain organizations about internal messaging, and the idea is that, like, you want to create a place where the players think they're safe and everything is good. And one of the ways to do that is to have these stupid slogans they have every year. Ride the wave in Oakland or whatever. You know, you've seen these. They have the shirts. They always have a shirt. It's like a stable of horses. All this stuff. All this stuff is, like, positive messaging from the coaching staff to create a positive narrative that everyone sort of collects under and then is like we're riding the wave baby you know like we're we're celebrating together we're all rooting for each other and i don't know maybe the mets have t-shirts maybe i just haven't seen them or what it is but in in, alonzo is is creating an effort in in this way of saying of creating a counter narrative to lol mets of like no, this is the this is the team of champions. Why did Hugh Quattlebaum, the co- the hitting coach for the Mets, bring a stuffed horse to to uh, the, the 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 dugout? Because of the rally monkey, the rally squirrel, the rally cap, the rally whatever. It's going to be the rally horse in New York because he's trying to like take the pressure off of this LOL Mets narrative. So if the if there is evidence that positive narratives can have an influence, then I think the opposite is also maybe true, but not as proven, which is that negative narratives have a negative influence. Yes, but him saying they're not playing well isn't a narrative. Okay, fair. <laughs> <laughs> but I do see was I do see what he's doing as a sort of a way to reshape yeah. the the conversation. You know. Yeah. It's a way to take a, a question about how bad does this loss hurt, you know, and turn it into, like, uh, something more positive. A related question for both of you. Let's say all these teams, these seven teams, the Padres, Phillies, A's, Blue Jays, Cardinals, Mariners, and Mets, they all fall short of the playoffs. Which one of those teams, if you had to pick one today, is most likely to make the playoffs in 2022? Ooh, Man, uh... the Padres, like, really, like... They 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 traded so much prospect capital so quickly. They're so aggressive in every direction. When I look at that now, I'm like, well, yeah, it's good, but they still have the Hosmer problem. And what what more money can they spend if they if they're at two oh five by the cap? I don't think they're that much money's coming off. I don't think they have they have any expiring players. 
Any significant ones? Yeah, no. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I think that the Blue Jays seem pretty ascendant. Mm-hmm. I would That's be. I was I'd say. be worried about. I mean, it's a, such a tough division, though, dude. It is, but except like you know, the Orioles are going to be bad for another couple of years. So you've got that gimme eighteen times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm think just trying to catch Jays, a bad year from one of the other three, I guess. Yeah, it's just kind of what you have to do. And I also think that like you look at the Blue Jays and their young talent and their depth and and you know the. I think they're a team on the rise. I think they're probably better positioned than all these other teams. The Rays are always scary, but eventually at some point, the Rays always have like a random down year, right? Every couple of years, the Rays just like are kind of meh. Um, so maybe that's next year, right? Maybe they're reaching the end of, of their current limits with most of this roster. Um, I don't know. I, I think Toronto is probably set up the best to do it. Um, I'm curious what Dombrowski does this winter with, the Phillies? They're they going in it? so many different directions. They had the front office yeah. shake up. They sold yeah. a prospect but bought a prospect in the same deal. So I'm not really sure what they're doing. I like they're kind of driving in circles a little bit. And I'm curious like whether they're gonna pick a side. Um some of it is changes. I think the awkward like they're still going through the awkward phase of trying to get rid of the old regime. Like for example, yeah. I think uh Andy Mc McHale, McPhail. McPhail. Andy McPhail is like still an advisor. And he's the one, he's like the last GM. Like, why would you keep him around? Ooh. Well, Clintac is still being paid. He's the last GM. McPhail's technically their, like, president, I think. Okay, That's but it's, it's still, there's still, like, old remnants. And I think some of what yeah. just happened was kind of cleaning some of that up. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, you have a you have a win-now GM uh, on a team that doesn't really have any more prospects to trade. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also kind of running up against the cap. It's a it's an awkward team. I'm trying to decide how real what we're seeing from the Mariners right now, like how real that is as it pertains to 2022, because we know they've got a lot of young talent. Kelnick hasn't been the guy we expect him to be yet, but things have looked a lot better for him in August than they did earlier this season. So he's at least trending in the right direction. You know, Gilbert just got rocked by Houston, but I thought he was overall putting together a nice rookie campaign. George Kirby's on the way. Julio Rodriguez is on the way. They have a young catcher, Cal Raleigh, who's up right now getting some experience. Most of their pitching is still going to be there next Noel year. Noel Martez, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Noel Marte, not too far away. I think they, they've got a really nice core. And I think for me, it's it's two to three years. Because when you think about it, Gilbert struggled when he first came up. You can kind of almost expect Kirby and Ham- Hancock, Hancock to struggle at first and then maybe get it going. Um, and so... Uh, I think it'll take two years to kind of like get Julio up and get those pitchers at the right moment. Uh, but two, two or three years away from like what looks like it might, might gel really nicely. I mean, what they need right now is a couple more bats and they've, they've got those coming, you know, and then, and then they've got a bit of a parade of arms and not all of them are going to work out. But if, if one or two of those pop and they sign one more free agent, like they have a little bit of money to spend too, I think. So I, I think in two years, uh, Mariners will maybe even win the division. Like they'll be that good. Yeah, their their run differential is minus fifty eight right now. So like that's <laughs> that's my no fun differential plus ninety according to Baseball Reference. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't I don't know the exact formula for fun differential, but that's the exact kind of positive you know thinking, positive reinforcement that that you were just talking about, right? Like if you start to believe in yourself and you create a culture of believing that you're going to be a playoff team if not this year, 
next year or the year after that changes the culture of you know being a perennial loser which is more true than not in Seattle unfortunately it's kind of like San Diego where you look you know there's some good teams in throughout their history a handful sprinkled in but it's been a lot of disappointment and a lot of heartbreak for that franchise and sort of breaking through that barrier is tough yeah, you got to really push against it. I do think that they've done some work against that. Even if they missed the playoffs this year, the Padres have done some work against that by being having a sustained run, uh, having a winning season, being in being in it to the near the end. Um, and I do think that they'll find a way to 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 re- reconfigure next year. And do have some uh, really nice prospects still at the very top of of their of their organization. Um, so I don't think that the Padres are, are that was their only chance. No, no, LOL Padres or anything. So no, I, I think I'm with you guys though that I think it is. I think it's the Jays that's the most likely to make the playoffs. But they, I'd say the Padres are, are right back in there again. I wonder if we had to pick today more wins in 2022 in the regular season. If we had to go Padres versus Giants because every. <laughs> Every time we've talked about the Giants, it's like, oh, I finally am starting to believe, I guess. like It's so hard to bet on them to do it again. Right. Yeah, you think they're going to run it back and, and be right the there? average age over there, dude. Uh, yeah, I, I would I would say the Padres. More wins. Same. Okay. So there's Same. there's still some, some belief in the Padres, maybe a whiff of disbelief with the Giants because Chris Bryant, you know, is a, is a rental. Willie signed. Yeah, he's a rental. Are Elliot Ram- is Elliot Ramos a, a game changer of a prospect either way? And is he ready? And Joey Bart just seems like a regular old catcher, really. Uh, so, and, and it's a while till you get to the kind of more exciting bats that are younger for the Giants. Yeah. So, all right. So we're, we're in agreement, though, on the, the likely non-playoff team to make the playoffs in 2022. What's going to be the September viewing priorities for you guys? If, if you're starting to think about, okay, what are you watching? Obviously, Rays, Yankees, Red Sox for the AL East because the two teams that don't win the division probably play for the wild card. That's huge. Giants, Dodgers to win the NL West and avoid the wild card. Also a, a massive battle. What else is going to really catch your eye in September when you don't have those teams on, when you're kind of just finding something interesting to get into from just a general baseball perspective? I think you're looking for individual milestones. Max Scherzer is closing in on 3,000 strikeouts. He'd be the just the 20th pitcher to ever do it. Um, you know, you watch him last night and like the guy is like 37 years old and it's just remarkable to continue to watch. Um, I think you're watching Otani, even though the angels are going nowhere because he's fun to watch. You know, I, you know, I specifically tuned in to watch the Orioles game and the Orioles ended up winning, which was crazy. Um, but he had a mammoth homer to start the game. (laughs) Yeah. Um, baseball's nuts because a team that hasn't won in, in like three weeks can all of a sudden tee off on, you know, baseball's best player. And it's like, ah, okay, cool. They were due. Um, you know, I think you're watching for some of those individual things. You're watching the NL East because I don't think any team really runs away with it here. As we mentioned, I think it's it's Braves Phillies, right? We can all agree on that. Uh, but who's going to pull ahead of whom um, I think is a little interesting. And then as we get down the stretch here, you're looking at Cy Young. You're looking at MVP. You're looking selfishly at who you're voting for. I think I have Rookie of the Year this I got year. I AL Cy Young. Um, Cy Young. Yeah, so you're starting to watch these races because um, they're now they're now coming to a, an end here. It's not June. There's not enough time to write the ship uh, for on an individual season. 
I honestly don't want to see Jacob DeGrom back this year. Maybe you guys disagree. I just don't want to see. I, I think Jacob DeGrom is something we should take care of and enjoy for years to come and keep him in like plastic wrap. And I, I'm not sure what the advantage of bringing back Jacob DeGrom, ramping him back up and bringing him back into a Mets team that we all agree is toast um, is going to do. Right. Yeah, I, I wonder, because uh, one of my answers is going to be pitching, because I'm just a pitching dork, and part of it is, like, guys coming back, like Sale and Thor and DeGrom, um, you know, part of, part of it is, like, a fantasy thing. I want to see what they look like uh, before next year. I don't want to go into next year and not have seen, you know, a five-inning start from Thor, because I, I want to know what the velocity was like, how healthy he looked. Like, for example, he's not throwing his slider. Uh, or I think, or his curve. He's not going to throw any breaking balls in his return. It's just going to be fastball change. So that's weird. And what is that? What will that look like? And can he be successful like that? Um, so I'm watching that sort of thing. So I, I kind of disagree a little bit that I think with Degrom, I'd almost want to just see, can he do it? And if that thing's about to go, like if we're just like if it's just like the rubber band that's about to go, then like then do it. You know what I mean? Like then do it and get the cert. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know that. Like he's rested for months. So if he doesn't, if he doesn't pitch again, then you're just gonna like take a whole year off or take like eight months off, and then that's gonna and that's gonna mean that he can he can pitch next year for like 180 innings. Yeah. How much better do you feel about him for 2022 if you see a couple starts? I would feel better. I would feel better if I saw a couple starts and he was fine. Because the questions are going to be, well, is he really healthy? Like that's going to be there, probably either way. But more of those questions are going to be there if we don't see him pitch again this season. I think of all those angels that got like the PRP injections and didn't get the uh, Tommy John, and then and waited two or three months, and then uh, came back, and then had to get the Tommy John anyway. That's sort of what I'm thinking about. But does Degrom? I don't think Degrom has enough time, guys, to come back, build up, and be this dominant seven inning Jacob Degrom to make you feel better. No. So to me, Maybe to right. me, it's it's almost like not worth it to watch him slog through three innings and be like, okay, is he real? Is he not real? Like, yeah. I don't know. Just just let the guy rest. He, I, I don't worry so much about innings. Everybody last year had a shortened season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, soft tissue injuries are, you know, through the roof. But you're still seeing guys like Max Scherzer didn't pitch that much last year. Did it bother him now? Like, I think DeGrom is in a little bit of a class of his own when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, I mean, if he's just now playing catch, the progression to five innings would take him, like, he might be able to do a five-inning start, like, in the last week of the season, I feel like. Does that make you guys feel better? To me, that just makes me nervous, that the Mets are going to rush him or mess it up. That's the other thing. The Mets' history with that stuff is another reason why I just want to wrap him in bubble wrap and unwrap him in March. Um, Because what's the, right? Like, they just haven't always done the right thing. So maybe them rushing him to have this feel-good moment isn't great. I hadn't thought about this until now, but DeGrom has an opt-out after 2022, which is kind of a big deal because if he's healthy at the end of next season, he opts out and gets a few more years tacked on at a very high AAV, right? If he's not healthy, he probably doesn't opt out and comes back in 2023, pitches and proves it, and then gets paid a little later and 
Then the, with Degrom, he's complicated because the volume of innings he's thrown is a lot lower than a typical 33-year-old because he's a converted shortstop in college. Da da. Everyone mm. knows the story by now, but but he already had TJ too. So. Right. So I just wonder how much the the option, the opt-out option for Degrom is kind of a factor in maybe his desire to get back and show everybody, no, I'm I'm good, I'm healthy, I'm fine. If he shows that down the stretch here and enters 2022 with fewer questions, that's probably a lot better for him long-term. Yeah. That's a great point. But, uh, I mean, I I've, uh, I think that we, uh, the the debuts, I think we, we talked about last uh, podcast are not maybe going to be that amazing with the two, the two uh, roster slot rule in September. We're not going to see that many more uh, top prospects. So I guess I'll be watching like Joe Adele, um, you know, maybe Dylan Carlson, um, some of these young bats that uh, need like a really good month to kind of prove that they are what we kind of hope they would be, you know? Um, so Marsh, I guess, counts. Joe Adele, do you guys have any more names in that regard? Like sort of young players that kind of, I guess, Josiah Gray, I want to see. I want to see Ruiz. Yeah, yeah, I think it's all. It's actually Louis Brinson. It's kind of turning things around in Florida. Like I kind of want to see, you know, what what that's the result of, you know. Yeah, the Marlins are a late season look in sort of team just for the future. Uh, we talked about them, I think, way back at the beginning of the year. A team that was on the rise that maybe would be more watchable this year than it has been in the past. Jazz Chisholm, fun to watch. Love watching him. A healthy Trevor Rogers. You know, I think Alcantara. Jesus Lazardo, if he can turn around, Edward Cabrera. Like, there's definitely interesting young pitching there. I'd like to see them even maybe bring up Jake Eater, but I don't know if that's going to happen down the stretch. They'll probably wait till next year to do that. Uh, but yeah, young players are always kind of where the, the focus goes for non contending teams. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I, I'd hate to force a segue, but there's a there's a team we nobody said no nobody said they wanted to watch. Who's that? Tampa. Well, I, I think it's part of the AL East battle. But okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, you're right though. They're so boring. They're in Baltimore this weekend, and I live between Baltimore and DC. And I'm like, oh, do I want to go see the Rays? I saw them last time. But I mean, Randy was such why? a fun story last year that I think that that you know you could still you could fall in love with that team. And and Randy's still there, uh, but he doesn't seem to be as sort of attention grabbing. Wander Franco is really fun to watch. He's really and good. He is coming into his own. Um, but I think it's a fair question. Tom Verducci had uh, an article about the Rays pitching strategy. It's something that's come up before. I, there's parts I didn't like about the story. So the parts I did understand about the story is that they have so much velocity in the pitching staff that it's kind of hard 
not, and I don't mean velocity uh, in terms of MPH. I mean velocity in terms of moves. That there's so many, so much coming and going in their pitching staff that it's hard to like even know who's pitching for them. Like it's it's almost a joke with the Rays, where it's like because of openers and this and that. Like I have no idea who's pitching tonight, right? <laughs> like when I go to the can, when I go to when I go to 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 the, the to watch them, I'm like I have no idea who's pitching tonight. Like that's just, I just that's my assumption is I have no idea who's pitching tonight, um, and. So I think that is something that has something to do with their fan problems. I mean, I think it's mostly the stadium, but maybe some of the location of the stadium and stuff like that. But I do think that that sort of velocity right now, all of baseball is down 35% in, in attendance. Uh, that's more of a, I think, a COVID thing. Uh, the, the, the A's are down 60%. They've done some poor marketing decisions, some poor decisions when it comes to what to charge for and stuff like that. But the A's and the Rays also also have like sort of high velocity situations. Like they just traded away Jesus Lazardo, who was supposed to be their you know big guy, uh, one of their big two, uh, to 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 get a rental at the at the deadline. Like that's how the that's how the A's act, and that's how the Rays act. They trade away Rich Hill, even though they kind of need him. Uh, they trade away Diego Castillo because because his velocity was down a little bit like, and he might be expensive next year. I don't even know why they traded away Diego Castillo. So, um, I, I, that part I, I, I agree with, and I don't like the part that I don't necessarily agree with Ducci on is, is sort of, and he didn't quite come out and say it, but this idea that them throwing more breaking balls will lead to more injuries. And so they're just chewing up arms on the reliever side um, and that's why they have so many injuries. I disagree with that. The, the research that's out there does not suggest that breaking balls are that much more worse on your on your arm. There's tons of injuries everywhere in baseball. And the life of a reliever, he, he highlighted a reliever, Chris uh, Maza. Is his first name Chris, I think? Yeah. Chris Maza. He re- highlighted that he'd been optioned like 10 times and pitched like 11 innings in the major leagues or something. And I was like, do you know any relievers? Have you talked to a reliever? This is the life. This is what it's like to be a reliever. Like when I was trying to clean up the reliever, I was making a joke about this in the last podcast, trying to clean up the reliever list. There, there, like half the relievers have been on two teams this year. That's just what that's just what it's like. You get traded around, you get option. Relievers, it's worse than any other thing. If you're a, a position player, even a guy who's struggling, like Dylan Carlson or somebody else, like who's not. You know, you you get option. What? How many times did Joe Adele get option? Once, and then he came back up. That's how we treat position players. Relievers. This is this is the life, man. This is what they do. This is what it's like. I I don't think. I'm not trying to say like don't cry for them. It's a hard life. Uh, but uh, I I'm not saying thinking that the Rays are actually that terrible about it. They just they just manage their roster that way. I mean, they, the more teams are doing that anywhere everywhere. Like look at the Dodgers, look at the Giants. Everyone's like moving levers up and down. Yeah, that's not a new thing. Well, yeah, exactly. Teams are leaning into this more and more. They're realizing they can use AAA like a taxi squad if they have a lot of relievers with yeah. options left. That's just what teams are doing to leverage that depth. That's the way it works. Is, it, is this unique is to the Rays? Though? And is it so terrible? I don't think it's unique to the Rays. The only difference is they don't really anoint a closer. So I guess there's. A, it seems like maybe the whole bullpen's always in flux. You know what? Here's the thing. This sort of ties together what we were talking about, the September viewing list and and the Rays not being on it. And I thought the the point I disagreed with that was kind of snuck in there was that that they're in the business of entertaining 
the style of baseball the Rays play does not sell. And I, I don't agree with that. Like, I don't think... I don't think their style of baseball is so radical compared to the way the other 29 teams try and play the game that it's harder to be a Rays fan. I think that's total BS, complete BS. And I'm not trying to sure? I'm not trying to like fight Tom Verducci cuz I don't I don't care about that. I just Are you sure here in Oakland they're like Matt Olson and Matt Chapman are already gone. Yeah, it messes with your fan base's heads because you're always like thinking about your favorite so? players leaving. But but I guess oh you're talking about just turning just on just watchability game. right does it does the way the Rays manage their roster does that actually make them a less enjoyable entertainment experience I would say no I I, I don't think it makes they're a difference fast at all. they're athletic defenders they have funky pitches they have good pitchers I don't know they have good hitters I don't know I I, I think I agree with you in terms of just watching the game yeah in terms of being a fan there's some things. Yeah, like the marketability. Like, there's a reason why I turned on the Orioles that night, right? They're playing Otani. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't matter to me. I don't care about watching the rest of the Angels roster. There is something to be said for if you're a fan of the Rays. Who, who's your superstar? Who's your guy? Like, I was there in 2008, and this was, you know, obviously worlds away in the sport, but people were upset. Like Evan Longoria jerseys were everywhere. I remember, like Carl and they signed into a long-term deal. Yeah, those were the guys, right? Those were the guys that this team built around. Those were the guys who, yeah, they weren't there for 10, 12 years, but they were there long enough for fans to get excited and say, you know, I want to go to a game. I want to go watch Evan Longoria. I want to watch this game. Longoria is coming up next year. Your kid in Tampa, what jersey are you buying? Right, exactly. So to me, there's something to be said for the marketability of that team, of those stars. Maybe they're exciting. Maybe they're fun. But let's keep in mind that Tampa's a really small media market, so we never get a chance. And now, with the COVID rules, you never get a chance to get to know these guys that are no-names, right? I can't just go walk in the Rays clubhouse this afternoon, talk to a guy for 20 minutes, and write this feature so everyone can get to know a player they've never heard of. Mm -hmm. That's not the way it works now. So I think to some extent, those teams like Oakland and Tampa Bay, without the stars, miss out on having the media coverage in there because... You know, those guys are maybe the next stars, or maybe they've got interesting stories that cause people to pull for them. That's the reason we loved Randy Orizarena, right, last year. Like, he had a great story. It was fun to watch. Um, They need that, I think. Tampa needs that. They don't have the huge, big market star power at all. They don't They don't have that. And so I like kind of see Like, we would be writing those kinds of stories about Willie Adamas right now. Except, oh, wait, mm-hmm. he's gone, right? Or Tyler Glass now. That was a great, that was a huge loss for them, right? That's a guy who you know is pitching and you know is fun to watch. And he will say something. And yeah, and he's 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 a good speaker. Um, so is it fine to mix and match a million guys and not have a starting rotation and not have a bullpen and no one has roles? Does it work? Yes. Is it a great long term strategy for baseball? I don't think so. I mean, maybe I'm just completely off base, but when I go to a game. People around me don't seem to know anything about any of the relievers other than the closer, for the most part. Like, everyone's familiar with the closer. In Milwaukee, everyone knows who Josh Hader is. They know who Devin Williams is. You do is. have to get out of your own head sometimes yeah. when you're, like, yeah. deep into baseball. Like, but, like, <laughs> like, but what about the starters? They always they know the starters, Derek. People come for the starters. They know, they know some aces. Extent. I, I, think, I think the typical fan... They might not know, the, they might not know past too deep. This but I, I just think so True. much of, of what the Rays do, like, I, I think there is there are bad things about sending players up and down as often as they and other teams do that's bad that's not good for the business of baseball from a like the way players are treated standpoint like that's a huge mm-hmm. it's a bad human look for them 
every team is trying to do something similar. It's not. I don't think it's unique to them. What I think is really weird is I think sometimes we put the Rays in this box where we assume they're doing some things that they're not actually doing. Like Shane McClanahan. Does Shane McClanahan work that much less than a regular starter? Like I feel like if you ask most people about him, how much does he throw? Oh, I don't know, three or four innings. No, he throws more than that. He he, he throws five or six. Those five or six, just like anybody else. Yeah, he's thrown at least five innings in six straight starts. And, and, and we we talk about the opener. I I just said something about the opener, right? Yeah. I said we don't know who's starting tonight. But how many openers have they used this year? I don't recall them using many uh, or any Yarbrough for like a couple, like two or three starts. Yeah, right. I mean, they're doing it a little bit, but it's not like. So they've done it. They've done it like as much as they've done it in the past. At most, not more. Like it, I don't know. Like I just feel like we have this this constant. Like the Rays aren't what we want them to be. It's like well, they have to be different for all the reasons you mentioned. Brit, it is a small media market. The stadium's a pain to get to. Mm-hmm. There's all these things yeah. working against them. They have a low salary. They, they operate with this low budget, and because they operate with this low budget, they are going to keep moving players every couple of years, and that's just who they are. If if we had. 30 teams all spending $400 million on payroll, then every team could have this group of stars that we could watch evenly. But I guess we have to be, we either have to appreciate the fact that with their stupid restrictions, they do what they do and have the success they do, or we have to demand that they spend more money. There, There isn't, uh, I don't think, an obvious way to stop them from doing what they're doing. Like, there's no, like, way to disincentivize it. I mean... It's the rules. Uh, the rules the rules. Salary floor. What rules? You put a salary floor. If you put a salary floor in, which is what Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellick wrote about, like, a week ago in The Athletic, okay. if that happens, then all of a sudden that changes things. It does right? a little bit. But it, what we learned from hockey is what ends up happening is Eric Hosmer plays for the Pirates. Yep. You know... The Pirates want to get to a floor, but they don't really want to spend long term. So they get a prospect uh, for Eric Hosmer. Um, So that's what what happens in hockey. It's weird little, I'll swallow your bad deal uh, for a prospect. Which I guess could help the Pirates and could help the Rays, sort of. But I don't know that it would exactly do exactly everything we want it to do. The Pirates could take the Eric Hosmer contract without a salary floor and take a prospect if they wanted to. They don't need a rule in place to do that. They could just choose to do that if they thought that was the right thing. They'd be more incentivized to do it if they had to spend the money somehow. Yeah. To me, the Rays need like a position player star. And maybe that is Wander Franco in a few years, right? Um, If you have a position player star like an Evan Longoria, you at least have some face on that national map to some extent. They'll still get screwed, though. They'll get to play play nationally televised games against the Red Sox and the Yankees. That's about it. Yeah. One one thing that like you know if there was a a hard cap, what happens in basketball is that you can then if there was a hard cap that most people spend to, then you can like fiddle around with like the hometown discount. There's like bird rights and stuff in basketball, but there's like they've tried to make it so that players will stay with with their own team for a while. And I think it's been somewhat successful if you think about it. Like there's been a lot of stars that it's like Curry, Trey Young just signed kind of the deal that'll keep him in Atlanta, that sort of deal. Like I think the stars to the most part stay until they get so fed up that they try to do like the super team thing. Um, but so you you could do that in baseball, but th- I don't know of a way to incentivize the Rays to sign Wander Franco to a long-term deal. The, I mean, the incentive for them is, saving on future value already right like that's that's the 
getting him for three hundred million when he's worth five hundred million or something. Like that's the right. I, I also maybe there's a thing I should say to admit. It. I don't know of an anti a non anti labor way of incentivizing that. You know what I mean? Like I don't know yeah. of a way that's fair to the player and the team to incentivize the Rays to sign him to a long term deal because we don't have a hard cap. They're not anywhere near the cap, so there's no way you can say this doesn't count towards the cap or something like that. You know, like they don't care. So I think we may have been split on this a little earlier in the week when it came up. I, I was still pretty optimistic about the Rays, thinking their bullpen will be a pretty typical Rays bullpen by playoff time. You know, I think you expressed your concerns that they just don't quite have the same mix of arms that we're accustomed to. And velocity. Yeah, and velocity. Where do you fall on the Rays? Are they as dangerous as they've been in playoffs past as they're currently built? Yes, they they oh, the, the key is as they're currently built because they're they're built to play these matchups. They're built to have a million guys close games. They're built to like, who knows who's down in that bullpen? Well, who cares? Their bullpen, they all have a million different jobs. So to me, the what makes the race so dangerous is they are built to win game by game in the playoffs, the way it's set up long and slow and these slogs. Um, they are set up to win in the postseason. They're not a, they're not a, we go by these two horses in the rotation and two stars in the lineup team. So therefore, to me, they have the, the best chance because they have all these little, little guys sprinkled around. And you know, they're going to have a few guys that no one's ever heard of that are all of a sudden going to hit in the playoffs. And we're all going to be like, who are these guys? Eno's going to deep dive on these guys' swings. And, you know, all of a sudden, before we know it, the Rays are going to stumble into the World Series again. And it wouldn't surprise me at all because that's what they do, much to probably the commissioner's office chagrin, right? Like, I think every time the Rays go far, a little piece of Rob Manfred's soul continues to die. <laughs> it's <laughs> not, not good for ratings. Not it's good not good for ratings. ratings. not good for selling T-shirts and sweatshirts. And it's not good because this efficiency model in some, in a lot of respects has ruined baseball to some extent, right? Um, the the focus on efficiency has had a lot of drawbacks in this modern era. It's what we're seeing with the game. Uh, but the Rays continue to prove that it works. And until it doesn't work, teams are going to keep doing it. So, um, yes, I... Again, well, I'm I hoping the that race. there's there's uh, you know, I'm hoping there's room for kind of the Giants model uh, because I think that they they're showing in a way that like you can be efficient, but also pay stars, you know, and if you can do both of those things, then you can still have something to hold on to for a long time. You can still buy your Chris Bryant jersey because they 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 you know, they sign him to a long term deal, but they're also going to play all sorts of games with that 24th and 25th roster slot where, you know, you don't know who their fourth outfielder is or who that reliever is. But that that's OK, too, because like Derek says, how many people know, you know, the roster 25 deep? Right. I mean, again, the casual fan doesn't necessarily worry that much about it. They will tune in. They watch the game. They learn who the players are. Part of that's our job it's part of the job of the people covering the team people talking about the team and writing about the team and the team itself market the players like that's something we call for all the time like this is this is not impossible and i think the the point that you know you made about the the giants just now i i love that we're seeing a team with old players with air quotes bad contracts turning those players into good players again through development and coaching and an approach that clearly has worked really well for them. I hope more teams are inspired by that. Just as many teams have been inspired by the Astros and the Rays and, and hyper-efficiency. I hope finding these other ways to move forward in player development, I hope that's a big part of the future of the game too because that 
that does give you more paths. That gives you more players in the pool that can actually be difference makers. And it's not all about getting the guys under club control and being as cheap as possible and loading up prospects. And, and, and Britt's hit on this before with the Orioles. It's like, this rebuild might not work. And part of that's just being in the AL East. Like They could get a lot of good young talent and that talent could all come up together and they could be 80 to 85 wins a bunch of times and then that talent will be free agents and they'll have never gone to the playoffs with the core that they tore it down to build like and how much of that is the fault of the current front office the last good uh orioles teams uh they were really good and they just ran up into some buzz saws you know yeah 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 the 14 royals yep so anyway hopefully that was still a fun conversation we were we're having fun as we worked through it. But uh, if you would like to buy a subscription to The Athletic to read about some more fun stuff, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels has our best deal. Three ninety nine a month gets you in the door to start on Twitter. She's at Brit underscore Giroli. He's at Eno Saris. You can drop us a line via email. Rates and barrels at theathletic.com is the best way to reach us. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.